Being able to raise kids with confidence in their abilities and the fortitude they need to succeed while providing a loving atmosphere at home is becoming more and more crucial and increasingly more difficult, especially when you are trying to create something different from what you knew as a kid. My name is Wanda Howard, and I am the founder of Traditions of Truth and host of Successful Parenting Podcast. I am here to show you the real keys to having success as a parent, where God is in the details so you can create the future you dream of and the home environment you love. Welcome back, everybody, to the Successful Parents Podcast. I am your host, Wanda Howard, and today we have with us Doug Cornfield. And I've been so excited when I met Doug, the program that he set up, and he's a director of the Disabilities Dream and Do program. It's so cool. I'll let him describe more about all of the details that goes into that. But he is a father of seven, a grandfather of five, an author, and he has proved that in this world, you don't have to just go after the big things you can have your family come right along with you. And there's a way to do both. So welcome, Doug. Tell us more about yourself and welcome to the show. Well, you pretty much just said it all. You know, I'm a, I got seven kids, which, and one wife, just for the record, for the people that are wondering, it's not a Brady Bunch. Um, and, you know, and, and, and family is difficult. And there's, it's amazing, even being a father of seven, uh, and, and it's all the same genetics, so to speak, of one, of one husband, one wife. But uh, the, the kids can be so different and it's amazing, yes. you know, how different they can be. And um, there's one one would be disciplined one way that would work. Another one that didn't work. There's so many, so many intricate things. But, you know, really what I get to do is a privilege. It's not always easy. Um, I work with Dave Clark uh, as an inspiration to me. Um, I do have a child that was born with neither arm, my, my number five child, my second son. And when he was just a baby, my son Gideon was just a baby. I reached out to Dave Clark when I found out about his incredible story. Um, of course, I didn't know years later I'd be traveling around the world with a guy and, uh, you know, doing these sports camps for kids, young adults, all different ages of folks with different limitations and disabilities. And, and so it's really a privilege. I left the financial market. I had an entrepreneurial side to me in the 90s. And basically, I went back to my entrepreneurial roots and decided to go for a movie with Dave's life story, uh, which is an incredible, difficult task. Yet uh, we, we, I guess, have hope. So all sorts of little things and big things that we're going for at the same time. And um, but our real if I was going to say what's our target is Dave and I want to do more sports camps for children with limitations. And we want to leave a legacy that that uh, that continues beyond us. Wow, that is so cool. I love too that it's geared around kids, people with disabilities, just because they're so incredible. They can do so many things. And I feel like there just isn't enough opportunities for them. So Right. And, and oftentimes, you know, one of the things that we found is they get held back by their caregivers and their families. You know, oh, he doesn't have arms. He can't do this. Or, oh, he's got Down syndrome. He can't do that. And one of the beautiful things about Dave's story, it's, you know, I'm technically able-bodied or whatever. I was a full scholarship athlete. And, and, you know, so for me to say these things is one thing, but when I put Dave Clark and another Dave of mine, Dave Stevens, in front of these families, uh, Dave Clark is a polio survivor. He lost the use of his legs to polio as an infant. And he had a 17-year career of playing minor league baseball on his crutches. And most people have never heard his story. So, uh, you know, so when I put guys like Dave in front of these families and they say dream and do, 
uh, to these mothers and children and young adults and all different situations, it just makes such a much more bigger, you know, bigger of an impact. I mean, he was an Olympic coach. He was an Atlanta Braves coach. He was a championship coach in the Swedish major leagues. He owned a major, you know, a minor league team. Um, you know, he scouted for six different major league teams. He knows the game inside and out. And he did all that on five, at five foot two on a crutches. So that obviously has a pretty, pretty powerful impact when families get to meet him. Yeah, definitely. And so I come from a world of no sports knowledge whatsoever. And so it was surprising to me that his story is not like plastered everywhere, like that he isn't known everywhere because he has, he's been at like every level um, yeah, I, I, I still call it, unfortunately, I guess it's, it shows that I'm not a great marketer. I still call it the greatest, mostly unknown sports story. <laughs> uh, and I've been telling people, I want to take that moniker out of our language, um, you know, and he, but it's interesting because he, he didn't see his story as being a story. And yeah. it's just really interesting, you know, person and man, he's like, ah, oh, Doug, my story, you know, when I, when I approached him, I said, Dave, this should be a movie. He's like, no, 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 everybody's got a story. And I'm like, no, Dave. There's stories and then there's your story and you know, but he never promoted himself. That's not his style. Mm -hmm. He just went from job to job to job. He was connected. And, and when I say nobody knows him, I mean, he's gotten awards at the white house presented by president Clinton in the nineties. He's gotten awards, um, the heroes of sports award, a national award in front of all the ESPN guys back in 2000. And wow. he's been the Bo Jackson courage award winner. And so obviously folks do know him. But it, it's just a matter of uh, most people don't know him. But he was he was scorned as an athlete. It was not it was not necessarily yeah. oh the red carpet the guy with crutches is coming to play. It's like what is he doing here? Yeah. Why is he on my team? Why am I coaching him as a player? Why why am I why is somebody else not on our team and he is? You know all those kind of different things that he had to deal with. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily always very polite. Actually, it was just the opposite. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about Dave's story, how he got like your your logo basically describes a little bit of the story that you shared with me previously um, of yeah. this little boy carrying crutches, pulling somebody else in a wagon. So tell us tell us a little that's, bit. About that's, Dave's story. That's, that's, that's close. But uh, so Dave, Dave is a, this little boy. And, you know, if, if anybody can relate to the Forrest Gump movie, Dave's like the real Forrest Gump. You know, it's unbelievable. He got polio. He had braces on his legs. He goes to the first grade. He's got crutches because he can't walk. He literally, you know, he's never been able to walk without crutches and braces. Uh, he got polio at 10 months before he started walking. And after he survived a year in a reconstruction home in Ithaca, New York, he came out walking with these cute little tiny braces and crutches. But he went to school just like everybody else. So he was mainstream probably before mainstreaming was a word. Uh, but he lived in a small little town where I live now in Corny, New York. And when he went to school, he says that's the first time he was felt to be different. You know, he's made to feel different. You know, now kids are picking at him, picking on him. They were calling him things like Olio, which rhymed with polio. And, you know, just all the stuff that unfortunately continues on to this day. And some of it's in fun and some of it's not fun. You know, and there's always that fine line that especially as children and even as adults, we don't know when to cross, cross that line or not. But he went to school. He was different. And his first grade teacher announced the field trip where the whole class would be walking, but five blocks away to the fire hall. And so for most kids in the, in the late fifties, that's a pretty cool thing. Hey, we're going to the firehouse. We don't have to go to school. We don't have to sit in class. Uh, but for Dave, it became a nightmare. And he just remembers dreading this day. Uh, he, as he remembers, it was like a week or two to 
prepare for the worst of being left behind, being picked on, call, being called slowpoke, all the things that were generating in his little six-year-old mind at the time. And so he did what every little six-year-old is going to do. He tried to act sick. And of course, to this day, Dave's a terrible actor. So his, his mom um, says, no, Dave, you're not sick. <laughs> yeah, better get ready and don't be late. So off to school, he goes and he gets to the back of the line thinking this is going to be the worst day of his life. And one of his classmates, his name is Ernie Pound. Ernie had brought his radio flyer wagon to school that day to pull Dave. Wow. And Dave never forgot it. And it's just a simple little story. But I'll tell you what, when we share that, uh, oftentimes, especially when Dave shares it, oftentimes there's tears and there's goosebumps and, you know, all those different emotional reactions we have. And so we started telling that story. And uh, the first time Dave told that story, I mean, he got so emotional. But, you know, where he gets emotional is kind of where I come in. Um, 45 years after first grade, Dave wrote a book about his life story, Dave Clark, uh, the diamond in the rough, the Dave Clark story. And, and one of the things that's beautiful about Dave is he remembers the people that helped him pull them along. That's cool. And the figurative, the figurative speech. So he has a whole chapter of talking about the small saviors of his life, you know, his parents, his oh. gym teacher, Ernie Pound. And so he shared that story in chapter two, what that I just shared with you about Ernie Pound bringing the wagon. And I was involved with helping Dave get the book uh, published, um, just behind the scenes, helping him as a friend, just completely as a friend. I was his financial advisor at the time. And when the book came out, I was rereading it because I was helping him organize some book signings. And I reread that story again. And, you know, and I'm not really a hugely emotional guy. I'm not a big crier or any of those things. But every time I read that story, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, um, you know, it gets you right in the feels. And so I was reading it. And it dawned on me, we're doing book signings. What if I could find Ernie? What if, what if he's out there somewhere? And I wound up finding him living 45 minutes away wow. and found out they had not seen each other since first grade. And Ernie didn't know what Dave had done. He didn't grow up, didn't graduate with Dave. Cause you know, everybody in Dave's high school knows him kind of thing. And in that, in that era of 1970 graduation, but Ernie came to the book signing because he remembered the wagon. And he remembered it was his sister's wagon. And so unknown to Dave, he puts a book underneath Dave's nose. And Dave says, who should I sign this to? And he goes, well, sign this one to Ernie Pound. And of course, the emotions just got lit up in that little coffee shop. And Dave gets crying and, and um, they hug and, you know, and they reconnected. And I caught, I caught all that on video. So if you want to get the goosebumps again, you mm -hmm. can go to one of our websites and, and watch that video. Or go to YouTube and watch the video and pass it around. Because it, it's truly... One of those stories of small act of kindness, just having a huge impact on a little, on a little boy who's not a little boy anymore, and he never forgot it. And now, and now here, 55 years later, I'm on a podcast and we're still sharing the story. And people are interested to know this little story about pulling each other along and a pound of kindness. And, and, uh, and so I brought those two men together and now they, they correlate that, you know, they meet together when they're here in upstate New York and they get together and, uh, we actually wrote a children's book called A Pound of Kindness, which is now available pretty much exclusively on our websites, um, pulling each other along, apoundofkindness.com. And you can get that book. It's, it's, of course, I'm a little biased here, Wanda, you know, but the book is great. <laughs> oh, good. The, the <laughs> yeah. book is great. Um, I had a great illustrator, uh, you know, very, very skilled illustrator uh, do this for me. And, you know, I had, um, you know, I wrote it and go back and forth with help with writing, get people's input, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, it's such a good lesson to teach family kids. 
it's yeah. it's it's never going to get old you know that little story it's never going to get old and Definitely. so and one of the things too that really impresses me about it is as a parent it's so hard to send your kid into hard situations it's so hard to like know am i doing it right is this the right thing and one of the things that i kept hearing in the story is the mom didn't buy that he was sick she said go on go to school and because she pushed him it opened up to this beautiful story this beautiful experience that he never would have had otherwise right um, but and and there's a really a lot more to that to unpack you know especially in dave's life and and because dave and i've traveled now so much together and we've known each other for 22 years he tells people i know his story better than he does um, but, you know, when you're writing scripts about a man's life and you're digging into the depths of his information and all those kind of things you do, you do, uh, you know, tend. And, and when I travel with him, he's got he's really got a photogenic mind. Um, you know, so even when I was asking him questions about the children's book and he, he rattled off like 15 names, first and last of people that he went to first grade with. And I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'm trying to think of three, you know, that I knew. <laughs> And, and I only probably know them now because we're connected on Facebook again somehow. And so, you know, so really, really incredible mind. Don't tell him I said so. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's that kind of memory. It's that kind of thinking and power. And it's just, you know, she's truly, um, truly, tr truly amazing guy. Awesome. So, so tell us more than how you came into Dave's world. What, what <laughs> was it that brought you to Dave and how did you start working together? <sighs> I don't know. It seems like fate. Um, it seems like predestined fate almost, to be honest. Um, can't, it's hard to know or quantify those things. But, you know, basically, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. I had five kids at the time. My son Gideon, that was born with neither arm, had, uh, was about one year old when we decided to move back to Corning, New York, where my wife and I had met. And I read an article. I'm studying for my Series 7 uh, to partner with my brothers in, at Merrill Lynch, and I'm going back and forth, spending a week or two in Corning, spending a week or two in Atlanta. I hadn't moved the family yet, we were, you know, in that process. And I picked up the newspaper as on a break, and I read in the Atlanta Journal, or Constitution, I'm not sure which one, probably the Atlanta Journal, and I read this article about this man who played professional baseball on crutches. All right, so if you get this, I'm moving to Corning at the time, and Corning's only about 10,000 people big, although it's a, it's a little town that's impacted the world. If you don't know the history behind Corning, it's a glass town. It's a glass company. They worked with Thomas Edison on the light bulb process, you know, all these things, and, oh, cool. and they invented fiber optics, and most people that have iPhones, they're touching Corning glass every day of their life, and they don't even know, you know what it is, but, so Corning, but Corning's just a small little town. And in the newspaper article about Dave, it says he's from Corning, New York. <laughs> and you're like, what? You know? And so I get to my office and I ask my brother, Kurt, because the story of him playing professional baseball on crutches and, you know, being an athlete myself, I know what kind of level that is. That's, you don't do that from crutches. And, you know, and that's kind of being my closed minded uh, sports person or whatever. And so I asked my brother, Kurt, I go, do you know Dave? And he goes, yeah, I know Dave. I've known him for years. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, but my brother, Kurt, was the director of the YMCA, and, and Dave had done several things with the YMCA and actually did some camps with my brother. Oh, wow. um, but, but Kurt never talked about a guy who played professional baseball on crutches with me. So as it, as it would be, um, Dave had just finished a 10-year career of coaching in the major leagues of Sweden. 
He'd actually won three championships in a row and retired due to his post-polio. And um, he moved back to his home. He had a permanent home here in Corning. And it was the same summer I was moving here. And he wow. was just, he got a, he got a little part-time job coaching at our minor league baseball team that was nearby. I went to a game with my family and I'd get into my arms after the game, went down to the dugout and, and just peeked my head around the dugout as Dave's, Dave remembers. And I asked, Hey Dave, um, you know, my name's Doug Cornfield. I know, you know, my brother Kurt and, and I'd like to chat with you if you don't, if you have a minute. And he says, you know, he said something like, give me your minute or whatever. We try to piece this together. It's 22 years ago and you know how your mind goes. But yeah. um, I remember we met after the game that day and I got a cell phone and probably called him a week or so later and set up a breakfast meeting. And in that breakfast meeting is kind of, I guess, when the, the magic started. And I, I can only remember really one strong thing from that meeting is that when it was over, Dave said, nobody's ever asked me questions like you're asking me. And it was because I was coming from a perspective of a father with a son with no arms. And I was asking him, what did your parents do? What, you know, what, what did they do here? How did they deal with you in school? What about sports? You know, all these little things, you know, cause I was inquiring to a man who had had just incredible success, but with extreme physical limitations. Yeah. And I wanted to know. So that was the start. Oh, that's so cool. And I love it too, because it shows the interest that fathers have to their kids. And I feel like so much of the world is polarizing that dads aren't really as involved as moms. Moms are the caregivers, but there you were like searching out, how do I raise my son to the best of his capabilities and not hold him back anymore? Like, how do I know that I'm doing that right? So what were the gems that you found? What were the things that working with Dave and- You just, you just said it. <laughs> don't hold, don't hold them back. And it's one of our main themes of our sports camps. And again, it's one thing for me to say, don't hold your child back. But when Dave's saying it, it has such an impact, you know, I mean, he's getting up there and he, he tells stories. Uh, the one story he tells is um, he, he wanted to go play ice hockey. Okay. Now picture this, the guy can't even skate. There's no way you can get on skates and skate around. But they played street hockey, you know, as kids growing up, and he was the goalie and the goaltender, and he would even get on his crutches and go up the middle some, but mostly he was goalie. And so he wanted to try it on the ice. And his, he goes to his mom, I want to go, I'm going to go play ice hockey. And she's like, what? <laughs> and she wasn't worried about him going to play ice hockey, but Dave has, he's been known for his smile. And she was like, uh, Dave, you will be done if you lose any teeth. You know, don't lose any teeth. And of course he gets a puck right in the head and he's got this big knot on his head the first time he goes to play oh, and he's trying to cover it up with his baseball cap. And, and, uh, and of course his mom winds up seeing it, and, but she didn't hold him back. She didn't say, no, you can't do it. And, um, and he says, you know, sometimes you do get bumps and scrapes and, you know, but you're not going to know what you can do until you actually try those things. And probably that's one of the biggest things that I got out of, you know, meeting Dave. Um, and that's been a lasting thing. Cause obviously once I started knowing more about his story, you know, my entrepreneurial blood kicked in and I'm thinking movie, this is a movie, this should be a movie, <laughs> but that's easier said than done. Although we did sign a movie deal, but, uh, oh, you know, that's, that's so, awesome. so we're, it's in the works. And of course, you know, as our luck would be, we signed a movie deal and they shut all the movie theaters down two weeks after, <laughs> uh, for COVID. But it is, we are, we are in meetings again, and there's some exciting things that are happening. So we'll just, we'll wait and see uh, with that. But his, his, his move, I mean, the hard part about it, because I've worked with different script writers, 
there's so much to his story. There's no way you could put it into one movie. Yeah, I bet. I bet so it's got to be like a series. Well, we we thought about going that route and then, you know, pitching a, a television made for television series to share the good, the bad and the ugly because it's, it's all there. Um, it, it could literally be like Game of Thrones. You know, I mean, it could be 10 seasons. There's so much. Oh. Um, but the current producer that got the acquired the rights, um, they're, they're heading for a, a feature film, you know, full feature film. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, you'll we, definitely we, we have might to even let... be having. Yeah, we might even have some articles coming out soon. So I'm talking with the producer about making some initial articles. Uh, but he's 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 in Europe often and he's a young actor himself, but uh, very connected to the world. Um, this is a world renowned family that we're working with. That's so cool. Yeah, definitely let us know when that movie comes out. And well, hopefully we'll know. Hopefully everybody will know. But, you know, (laughs) it just depends on budgets and, you know, the people that come in with the bigger financing. And, you know, there's still a lot of little steps. But I felt like for me, I took the steps that I needed to get Dave's story out there in my gut. When I first started doing this promotion of Dave's story, I just felt like we're going to meet somebody. We have to meet somebody that I can pass this baton off to that's that can take this to the levels that it needs to go. And I knew my limits. Um, and, but my, my goal was to find that right connection. And um, amazingly, I think we did it. Oh, that's so cool. So before we end, I have one more question. What, what is it that your parents did? What was the foundation that they gave you that enabled you to be, the dad, the grandfather that you are and the entrepreneur alongside that. Yeah. So, you know, I love my parents. They're both, they're both past. I was, my mom was actually like 35 when I was born and, and, um, and she passed uh, right after my youngest son, who's now 17, 16. Um, She passed away right after he was born. And my dad passed away when I was, when I was younger in college, still in college. And, you know, but the foundation, I was the youngest of five. You know, so they raised five children and, and, and not the greatest economic times, you know, I mean, um, just, you know, but they were, they stayed together. They, they struggled through hard times. They struggled through good times that, you know, the whole thing, but very family oriented. Um, you know, my mom was a glue. She was one of those glues. I, and I, you know, there's, th- there's certain things and I even mentioned my mom in a, another podcast that I was on because it was a business podcast. And somebody said, where it was a leadership podcast thing. And I said, well, one of the greatest things my mom ever said to me as a leader, she, she actually grew myself and my three older brothers to be leaders. That, that was, that was her goal. She wanted her sons to be leaders, not followers. Not, not to being a follower, a follower can be good. And times leaders have to follow too. So it's, there's a balance there. But she said, if you're going to be a leader, if you take leadership, just be known. You're not going to please everybody all the time. And if you try to, you will fail. And so those, you know, my mom gave me some real nuggets throughout the years, uh, both through my athletic career uh, into my adulthood and, and a couple of things as a father, you know, that helped too. And, um, you know, when it came to discipline, you know, she basically said, if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't work. You got to figure out something that's going to you know, bring pain to the child. It doesn't have to be physical pain, but if it's, it's gotta be something that brings some kind of challenge or hurt to them in a loving way, obviously. And that's what my parents did to me and my, and my brothers, when they disciplined us, it was always in love. 
And, um, you know, and those are, those are things that I think ground good people help us keep us strong. None of us are perfect and we're all in imperfect situations. And, um, and like I said, you know, I got seven kids and it's amazing. I think at times when I think about how different they can be and then they have their similarities too, you know, so, and, and then extreme differences. So it's, 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 it's great to see. I love that. And one of the things that just really stands out that I keep having this theme over and over as I've interviewed people is just the idea that parents aren't perfect. Kids don't expect them to be. It's the the gems that we give them along the way and love and discipline and encouraging them forward. So, but I lied. I have one more question for you. All right, go ahead. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so what would your advice be to parents who have disabled kids and and they want to give them the best forward where they're, they're it's totally new world for them what would your advice be to help them feel encouraged about their role so one of the, one of the things that's another theme of our camps is we we want to focus on what they're good at what they can do um, so if they're extremely good at something uh, you know I can use Dave as an example or my son Gideon you know like my son Gideon doesn't have either arm so we had to figure out some other things for him to do and to focus on. But we also, and I guess this goes along with our theme of pulling each other along that I can pull out probably for this. We, we, we talk about there's a time to pull. So there is a time to pull people along. And then there's a time not to pull because you're not helping them if you just keep, keep telling you, oh, I'll pull you, I'll pull you, I'll pull you. You're not helping them. And then there's a time as a person to, you know, the not to pull. And then there's a time not to be pulled. She's like, no, I could get in the wagon and you could pull me along and I could be on easy street, but why don't you help somebody else? Because there's a time actually not to get in the wagon and I can do this myself. And so there's a balance here in our pulling each other along themes. Um, and I think you have to find what our whistle's going off. I live in an old uh, factory town and they still blow the whistles. I don't know if they could hear that on this uh, podcast, but um, proof that I'm in Corning, New York. I mean, literally downtown Corning, New York. But, you know, it's finding that balance of helping a child and also letting them get hurt, letting them get bruised, letting them figure out how to get back up. And that can be extremely difficult. Um, and, and then focusing on their strengths. So if they have a dream, even if it's outlandish, like playing professional baseball on crutches, let them see how far they can go. You know, because there, there's some there. I can end with one really, really powerful story. And it's it's always better when Dave shares this. But his wife's uh, we were going to have him on the show, um, but his wife's uh, trip got changed. She's coming in from Sweden. She's from Sweden. And he had to go pick her up at the airport today. Um, but Dave's a joy to meet. And but he has this one story. And if you want to go see his TED talk, I think it's actually called the pulling each other on TikTok. It's it's 18 minutes of worthwhile. But he shares a story. And it was the first time he'd ever shared it publicly about when he first went um, to a tryout with the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. You know, think about it. He's five foot two. He's on crutches. He's got this dream, big dream of playing professional baseball. And he's going to a tryout to, to the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. His mom handwrites a letter to Art Gaines, who was the lead scout for the Pirates, asking him to let her son down easy. Oh. Okay. And she was so smart that she put a return envelope to the neighbor's address because Dave would often pick up the mail and he oh didn't my. want her. He did. So literally she sent the, the envelope to the neighbors and wow. got that and got a reply from Art Gaines. 
and basically whatever how many years later in the it was this would have been in the 90s before his mom passed away she had tears in her eyes she came to dave with that letter that return letter and she gave it to him and she said dave i want you to have this and literally bawling her head out probably she said i just can't believe i ever doubted you but dave never felt the doubt and i think that's the key he never felt the doubt of his parents there was obviously doubt there you know to play professional baseball crutches she didn't think in one iota that he was going to get a shot um to play for the pittsburgh pirates minor league team but he did and he parlayed that to a 45-year career at every level of baseball wow but still with tears in her eyes she gave him that letter re reluctantly and of course the letter said uh, mrs clark thanks for your concern for your child but dave's gonna get treated just like every other player if he's good enough he's gonna make it if he's not good enough he's not and um you know it was that kind of letter and you know and so even if you do doubt that they're going to be the next whatever rock star or the next great artist or the next professional basketball player football player singer whatever whatever they're dreaming even if you are doubting it don't show it no oh, i love it so Thank you again, Doug, for coming onto the show. And if anybody here listening resonates with what Doug has shared with us and Dave's story too, I will provide links down below. And thanks everybody again for coming and we will see you next time. I am so glad that you were able to be here and discover more with us of what it means to be a successful parent. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a rate interview so that we can reach more amazing parents who are looking for ways to truly succeed with their kids too. Find me on Instagram or Facebook at WandaHoward.Live. If you're like, holy cow, this was amazing, but I have so many more questions, then send me a DM with your biggest takeaways and all of your questions. I'll be sure to take care of you. Have an amazing day and I will see you in our next episode.